Another episode of Back of the Net and Beyond. Today I'm going to be speaking to Nathan Lamy, who's a former professional footballer who played for Wolves and Cambridge. How's it going, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Nice to catch up. Um, yeah, it's been a long, been a time. long time. I think last time we've seen each other or spoke, probably, I don't know, going back kind of 11, 11, 12 years of age. Um, so really, really long time. Um, so yeah, obviously lots to talk about. Um, just let everyone know kind of what you're doing uh, now in terms of work or business or both. Yeah, so we have a, a boxing studios called Urban Boxing Studios. Urban Boxing Studios essentially gives boxing and makes it available for everyone in a really cool environment. So um, feels like a nightclub in terms of its setup. 14 hanging bags in a in a in a really cool gym, um, which has loads of uh, nice CrossFit equipment in it. And we take people from four years of age all the way through to our oldest member being 76. Um, there's just one prerequisite with us. It's non-contact boxing, um, but you work to your absolute limit, whatever your limit is. Um, so we get real results. We teach proper boxing. It's not size. We teach correct boxing technique, um, but we just do it in a really cool environment. Well, that sounds really interesting. And um, so in terms of that then, so in terms of like obviously what you're doing, you must obviously have an interest in boxing in general. So was that part of the kind of uh, method in your thinking with regards to going into that? No, not at all. Not from football. From football I was involved in. I've been involved in probably three or four businesses that were promising and not so promising, did well, then flopped. Yeah. Um, just loads of different things like from selling LED lighting to LED, um, energy efficiency consultant, commercial fit out. I've done, I've done like a world of things. Um, boxing for me, it came about, so my lads are um, kickboxers for GB. Um, and I, I was becoming a little bit pushy through my football. I just didn't want to be that guy and that parent. Yeah. So I just threw myself into it. Always loved boxing, but wanted to feel how he felt. Got involved in it. Um, in terms of working with his coach and just saying, can you help me with this, pay for one-to-ones mm. and just became like, just fascinated by the chess of boxing. Um, then I started to ask his coach about, okay, what if people don't like, don't want to compete? Where, where do they go? And there wasn't really anything out there for people that were non-competitive. So you have amateur boxing or you have boxer size, but you don't have anything in the middle. Mm. So then we started to have a look around and see what was around. And outside of London, there was nothing like what we do. Mm. Um, so we're like, right, let's, let's get involved in this. This is something that we, I feel I can really add something, you know, yeah. and we can add something really special to the space. And, and that's what we did. And we've got a really cool gym, uh, a really nice fitness community that people really believe in. And it mm. isn't about community more than anything else. You know, so it's for people who've always had, people who've always had an itch to box but don't want to get punched in the face. That's it, yeah, that's 100% true. Um, <laughs> um, I think I fit into that box uh, very, very neatly. <laughs> um, in terms of that, I mean, that's really interesting. I do want to touch on that in more detail uh, a bit later on, uh, if, if you don't mind. But in terms of kind of you, um, I've, I've got an idea in terms of, well, I, I know you from kind of playing, and I know what type of player you were. We'll touch on that in more detail later on as well. But... I want you to talk about your transition away from 
from football and like how was it for you when you were either told that you weren't gonna um like you weren't wanted or weren't gonna be given another contract at Wolves um or whether it was an injury like what was the situation for you that kind of led you to kind of look at um kind of other opportunities well with me when I left Wolves I left Wolves with loads of positivity I I, I was really unlucky not to breakthrough at Wolves, I, I felt like I was right on the cusp of things. Um, when it didn't happen and I went to Cambridge United, uh, it was like, like going back to square one again. It was like a totally different world to what I'd known. Mm. I struggled, like I really struggled. I had a really tough period of time in terms of trying to um, prove myself, finally proved myself, broke through, made a few games in the first team, found myself out of favour again. Um, Lots of different reasons for that. Um, but then I found myself, right, okay, th this is it for you. And I just fell out. At that point, I just wanted to pack in. Like, I had, like, um, due to the circumstances that I left there in, I just didn't want to play football. Mm. And it, if it wasn't for my mum at the time, my mum just like, no, nah, I'm not having this. Like, you, you can't give so much of your life to football and just, just give it up. Yeah. So she got me playing non-league football and I had a really positive experience so yeah. when I actually left Cambridge I went into non-league football, football playing in the equivalent of like the Conference North now it was a Dr Martin's Prem mm. um, so I didn't have to get a job but I was bored so I, I didn't know what to do man I didn't at that point I was like oh, I'm just a footballer like I, I don't know anything so I just worked in a clothes shop okay. and because I had we had such a great crack in this clothes shop I met this guy that was a manager. We started doing some really crazy things with customers, like putting events on, doing some really cool things with them. And then they pinched us and took us to run this really high-end furniture shop for them. Okay. Where we had a bar and champagne and all this stuff. <laughs> it was just bad. So we just had fun. And yeah. from there, I, I learned to sell stuff. Like we sell 35 grand sofas and really high-end stuff. Um, started to then search for new skills started to look at it started to do a bit of CAD design and started to do a little bit of interior design and add value to my customers mm. and then I realized actually I've got some skills that led me to commercial fit out which in turn oh. I started to ask questions when I did commercial fit out of mm. my employers start saying why don't we use this loan scheme that we can use to get the government to fund some of our projects they said no so I was like oh, I'll do it myself then so I set up a, um, an energy efficiency consultant See, like, I didn't know nothing about it. Mm. I had no formal qualifications. I should just sit in the middle with all the techies. My customer didn't understand what the techies used to say. So I used to figure it out and then translate to my customers and go, okay, this is what it means. And I can get you loads of money to do the work. And we turned over like 3 million in our first year. Wow. It was incredible. Wow. For whatever reason, we had some fallout, some investments, some bad investment, um, and that ended up turning into an LED lighting company, and that failed again. Mm. And yeah, I just, I've just run into brick walls, mm. got up, run into a few more brick walls, and every time I've learned a few more skills, and I'm starting to bash through a few walls now, which is nice, like I've learned a way to get through them, you know. Mm. And it's, it's not because I'm bright or intelligent, it's just I um, must be thick skin.
Well, that's it. Um, and, and that's massive because you mentioned there, and a lot of people, especially nowadays with social media, everyone's got like a success story. Everyone paints a picture that their life's perfect when in reality we know it's not. And especially in business where it, it's one of those where sometimes you think, well, you start something and then that's got like the, the be all and end all. And like you just said there, you've had like two or three businesses that in, in theory, they kind of failed. But I'm assuming with every experience, you kind of learned a whole heap of new things, which led you on right. to kind of where you are well, now. The, the biggest failure we had was in an LED lighting company. Mm. Biggest learning curve of my life. Mm. I learned more in the most catastrophic failure than I did in anything else. <laughs> and at the time, it was horrific. Right. And then, when I look back, it was the most glorious failure. Mm. So, we, you can only get that through wisdom of, of time and mm. at time and failure. So, that would be my one thing is don't fear failure. Mm. Failure makes you, makes you more rounded, more hardened, and more able to deal with future failure. Mm. And then the failures become less frequent because you have more skills. So, yeah. Go and have a few road crashes because they'll sort you out eventually. Hundred percent, and that's great advice. I mean, I just want to go back slightly. So you mentioned you left Wolves, and we'll touch on that a bit more uh, a bit later on. But you've left Wolves and you've gone to Cambridge now, and you mentioned that it was like a change. It was like a reality check, and I, I can resonate with what you're saying there. Um, what What was it like going from Wolves, where we're going back to what 1999, 2000? So obviously Wolves was still a well-established club. Um, they've got all the facilities, players are well looked after and whatever, and then you've gone to Cambridge and it's a completely kind of different, uh, it's opposite end of the scale in theory. So what, what was that experience like for you? And just go into a bit more detail, because obviously for me, I know what you mean, but some people who may not be connected to football at all will probably not understand what you mean. Uh, it, it, for, the biggest thing for me was I'd never not, uh, right, the best way I think to phrase this, I'd never had to um, prove who I was from day one. Mm. Right, that's, and that might sound big-headed, but that was my reality. So, like, I've gone from Villa to Wolves. Wolves had given me a pro contract at 14. I, I was going to a club that wanted me. All the way through, I was playing under-18s at 14. I was... I scored 76 goals in, in, in reserve and, and youth football at Wolves. So everything was going perfect. I didn't have to prove who I was. Mm. I went to Cambridge and it was like, right, we're gonna, you're going to live in the club digs. We'll give you 100 quid that's going to cover your, your travel. It's going to cover some food. And you've now got to prove that you're good enough. So instantly from day one, that was the biggest culture shock. Mm. And it was the culture shock as well was that wasn't, um, it, it, in terms of proving who you were, it was a matter of you're going to be a first team success until you get a bean out of this club. They mm. were broke, had no money. So that was my, the, the thing that I found the hardest mm. because the, it, it's unforgiving. Yeah. It's unforgiving. I actually got treated like um, the first year, I was, I was treated just like a youth team player. Like, mm. so, I was just, so I was going back to where I started. Yeah. Which, that, that was tough. 
it is very tough. And again, these are the stories that I like purely because it's easy today in, in this kind of day and age, naturally footballers have got a stigma attached to them and everyone seems to get tarnished with the same brush. And they all think that everyone earns kind of millions and this and that. And it's like, you don't see or hear many stories like what you just said there um, in terms of you've gone from Wolves, high hopes. I know full, full well that literally, because I'll touch on this a bit later on again, but for me, like you were one of those players, striker, you were probably the same size now that you were when you were like 12, 13. So bear in mind, I'm 5'7", um, but when I was like 12, 13, I was probably about four foot. And you were just massive, yeah. biggest legs in the world, could shoot from the halfway line with accuracy and score, fast, good game knowledge, everything else that you need, all the attributes that you need for a player. So you've gone from Wolves, where everyone knows that, you're probably one of the best in the youth team and maybe even the reserves. And then you've gone to Cambridge and it's like, you're just one of the re regular guys there. And it's like, you've been given this 100, 100 pound bursary and it's kind of off you go for the year that you're there or first year. It's like, you're just trying to, it's hard trying to prove yourself, especially when you're that young, you're living away from home. And it's like, I've gone from this situation where I've kind of first name on the team sheet and then now I'm here and it's like, facilities ain't up to scratch or what I'm used to and the coaches probably have got me on trial. You may not be on trial, you probably signed a contract, but it feels like you're on trial. So I completely resonate with what you're saying there. Um, and, and like I said, it, it's physically and mentally tough um, to get through that anyway. Um, for me, like, so when, you, when you're at Wolves then, and obviously you had some top players there, because I think Robbie Keane was maybe in the year above, and I think Mark Jones as well was a striker, if I remember right. Yeah, he was at National School U. Yeah. So we, we had, in our, in our group, so Adam Proudlock didn't quite um, get into the National School, did he? No, I think... Because of injury, the, he had slatters. Yeah, so he, he's he a funny one as well. He was, so. I got to the last... Yeah, like I got to the last group. So if you think we there was um, at Wolves was me, Robbie Keane, Jonah, um, Adam Proudlock, mm. and at the time Adam Proudlock was a winger, really. Yeah, yeah. But was just but was rapid, like just rapid. Mm. But in terms of, I guess me, Jonah, Robbie Keane were Robbie was in the youth team for six months and then he was gone because he came over a year early from Ireland. He was in the mm. first team. Mm. Then me and Jonah were really pushing hard then to mm. to follow. But you don't have you don't have three strikers come out the youth team and play in any first team anywhere no. because it, it, you've already got four or five established first team players. Yeah. You've all yeah with Robbie there and Jonah just pushing it just was a timing thing. Like mm -hmm. All three of us, I, you know, I believe, were good enough to play first-team football at Wolves. Yeah. It, there was just a, a, a number of established first-team players. There was not a chance of us breaking through. Mm. So I, I left Wolves with a world of positivity because I did my bit. Like, you know, yeah. I, I, yeah, I left there doing, doing really well and disappointed. I just, just wasn't quite right timing-wise. Timing is everything. Yeah, I probably needed a year. Mm. Um, and I think if Mark McGee would have stayed, I'd have had a year. Mm. Um, 
Mark McGee really favoured favoured us, and Mark McGee gave Robbie his chance and gave Lee Naylor his chance. Gave yeah. we we had out of our group of what eighteen youth team lads, eight played in the first team. Wow, that's nice. Yeah. It was not I always put- I always remember kind of Wolves. They always and still to this day they always had good youth players coming through. And you've named about like four or five there, like established. I remember I actually forgot about Adam Pravlock because I remember him on the trials and stuff, and he was he was classed yeah. as one of the smaller ones. Obviously, I was as well. Yeah. And then I think about obviously I got in, uh, Mark Jones, so Jonah at Wolves, he was a year above me. He was at this yeah, time yeah. with Michael Owen. But I always remember, like, three or four months later, I saw Adam Prowler, and he was, like, about six Mate, he, he turned was, into a man. He turned into a man. Yeah. In about nine months. Like, yeah. it, it just went massive. Yeah. And it went from, I think, his first year as a youth team player. He never played. Really? And then his, sec- his second year, the, the, he was incredible. Like, you just couldn't, you just run past three or four people, yeah. get off me. But he was a winger, so mm. he, he looked like a man. So yeah. that's probably, I think, when Colin Lee took over, he fit what he would see mm. a, a modern centre forward to look like. At that yeah. time, I was five foot seven yeah. and very stocky, five mm. foot seven with a six foot four frame. Yeah. You know, so yeah, <laughs> that, that was the challenge for me, I think, really. Definitely. Yeah, 100%. And, um, it's one of those where, again, that's a side of it where people don't see things like growth spurts and things like that. They can affect you in a positive way and also in a negative way. Um, but for you then, like in terms of your transition away from, from football, like what, what transferable skills did you think that you've taken from football for, for those kind of years that you played to get to, you, like, to get to where you are now? So in terms of like your, your boxing business and, and every other business that you've tried to hand out as well. Mate, I had nothing but the gift of the gab. I flipping sell ice to Eskimos, <laughs> right? And I back myself to sell ice to Eskimos. <laughs> so that's all I had. Mm. And flipping stubbornness and bloody mindedness. Like mm. I, will, I will fall over and I'll get back up and come charging. Like, mm. And that's all, I think that's what football teaches you. And I think for me, I always talk about really interesting thing, right? I've got my lads, um, I've got like some signed wall shirts and stuff and some shirts that I wore when I was at Wolves. And I've got some from Cambridge United. My mm. wife said to me, why haven't you got anything from Cambridge United? Right? It's because I see it as fate, like failure. So she went and got like this shirt and stuff framed for me. Um, it was Christmas mm. and I was like or oh, my birthday it, and it went up in my son's bedroom and she was like oh, why, is, why is that like I was like hey, it's failure mm. so for me that was my learning in terms of uh, how I interact with people mm. how I just keep going and keep going and keep going mm. that failure was what in my kick on into transitioning into something else and seeing other people that if I'm if I'm honest I don't believe had had the talent that I had be incredibly successful and there's only one reason for that they had the ability to shut up when I needed to shut up <laughs> keep working 
when they needed to keep working and wait for an opportunity because there's one thing in life if you have ability it is about timing mm. when it's right for you you'll get it doesn't matter what it is but you have to stick it out and grit it out and something will stick at some point now for me with football i didn't give it the time mm. for it to stick yeah so then going into normal life outside of football it's about you keep going and you keep going you keep going throwing off mock it's gonna stick mm. and that's how i see life and that's how it's every time i throw a load of mock a little bit more sticks mm. and then i get quite good at throwing mock <laughs> that's how i see it yeah that's massive and i always remember you kind of going back now so this is years again going to all those kind of Midlands trials and all those trials leading up to kind of the FA National School and obviously we were competing for the same place uh, in terms of stature like you were you were a man and I was like a little baby it's ridiculous um, but I always remember you're always like a friendly character like everyone warmed towards you I was always quiet um, confident but quiet and like unassuming whereas you were a bit more you were like a live wire but not in a negative way it was always someone who you always brought like joy to like training and stuff so i always remember you for that aside from your natural ability in that because that was just ridiculous anyway from what i can remember um so that's my kind of uh, kind of memory of yourself anyway um in terms of you like kind of now like obviously we touched on what you mentioned in terms of your transferable skills and whatever and it seems like you've kind of you've got your head screwed on really successful um what why do you think some athletes, and I'm not just talking about football now, I'm talking about sport in general. Um, why do you think some athletes find it hard to transition away from their chosen sport into like another career path? Um, right. The only, the people that I know that it's eaten up are, right, there's a time for everyone to let go. Mm. And I think sometimes people struggle to let go. And through struggling to let go of it, they stop themselves. Um, develop. There isn't a development mindset. Mm. There'll be a point in football where you're not really going to learn much more. You'll have had, for example, you, m myself, at the age of nine, you'd have had great coaching. At the age of 10, you'd have had great coaching. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Now, 18 years old, if you don't understand the game well enough, you're only picking up little bits that are going to change you as a yeah. footballer at that point. You're going to learn, but your development, the majority of it's done. Yeah. So if you think your career lasts to, to 32, for example, mm. but you've been going from nine years old, from nine to 21, that's where the learning's been done. Mm. Now, when you get to 28, 29, and it's not quite worked out for you, and you're stuck in that mindset that means that all I want to do is football, 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 football. Mm. But you've not transitioned into coaching, and you've not gone on a new coaching journey and a new learning journey, mm. then you've become stale. And I think it dawns on people that they've become stale, and then there's a fear. Because mm. now what do I learn? How can I learn? Where can I go? How do I go? And, and actually, that football is only a small, small 
portion of your life. It doesn't matter how successful you are. If you're incredibly successful, it's a small portion of your life. If you're not so successful, it's an even tinier portion of your life. Now, all that means is that you have more opportunity to do well elsewhere. 100%. That's how. Literally everything you said there makes sense. And, and this is what I try and kind of, I try and get this across within the podcast somehow. Um, because a lot of people, they're not aware that they've got those transferable skills. You get stuck in that bubble, whether it be the football bubble or cricket or whatever. And it's kind of, sometimes you've had coaches where they, they just literally say, kind of, okay, well, all you know is football or all you know is tennis or whatever. But in fact, it's not. And like you said there, so your average footballer is, is slightly older now in terms of retirement. But let's say you retire at 35. 35 in life terms is, is no age at all. So you've still got all that time whereby you can learn another skill or even learn whilst you, you, you're playing as well. So it's one of those things where, and, and like you said, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone before who's actually said kind of there's a time for everyone to, to kind of let go and everyone's, it's different for everyone, like you say. Yes. And there's, there's no right or wrong. Um, and this is what I always say on the podcast as well. There's no right or wrong. It's not, not everyone's built to, um, kind of learn whilst they're playing football or learn whilst they're playing rugby or whatever. Some people don't want to go to university or college or whatever. <clears throat> um, that doesn't mean to say that you can't learn another skill or, uh, or put your Foot time football. into something else. Football is a hustle, mm. right? And when I say it's a hustle, right, if you were to, if you were to hustle on the street, your ultimate goal is to get money and do something positive with it, right? Yeah. At some point. At some point, you've got a transition from street hustle to legitimate business person, yeah. right? Great yeah. book, Jay-Z Decoded. It's a great book, right? And mm. it talks about his transition from street hustle to business person, mm. okay? All football does is give you platform and money. It gives some people more platform. It gives some people more money. Mm. But ultimately, it's a short-term platform to give you the lifestyle that enables you to learn new skills, use your money more wisely, to set you up to do something positive. Mm. Now, I know lots of people that have had very, very successful careers and done, a, done less with it than other people that haven't had such successful careers and done really, really well with it. Mm. Yeah? Because they've understood the hustle. Mm. And that's all it is. Yeah, it's great fun while it lasts. Some people are fortunate they're never going to have to work again. Mm. But it's a flipping long time to not work mm. again. Yeah. <laughs> right. If you're that kind of person that don't want to work again mm. for 40 years of your life, then, oh <laughs> man, that wouldn't be for me. Yeah, me neither. So, so play the hustle. Yeah, it's true. And there are different ways to do it. I mean, I remember speaking to one player, and this isn't something that I would do. I never, I never had it in me to do it, but he was a striker and he was a decent player, kind of lower level, but he came with a decent reputation and normally strikers do, especially if you score goals and especially if you're kind of big and tall. Uh, but he had good feet as well. And um, he said to me, and this is like during the warm-up one day, and it made me think and see things from a different perspective. Um, he would use his reputation and a portion of the season where he'd scored a bag of goals to then get a move to another club to then maybe it not be as successful as they thought it would from both parties 
to then engineer another move. But whilst he's engineering that move, he's still under contract. So then he gets paid up, takes Double a money. lump sum of money, <laughs> goes to the next club. And he did that consecutively for a bunch of clubs. Before you know it, he's got a pot of cash. And it's like, I'd never heard that before. And I'd never really thought about it, purely because it's, it wasn't in my psyche to do that. But it wasn't, is that a bad thing? Is it a good thing? Like, it, it worked for him and he wasn't tarnishing his reputation because he wasn't ever kicking up a fuss. He wasn't going around kicking balls. He wasn't like, say, for want of a better phrase, tossing it off in training. He was a good egg. But that was his strategy. And I thought, you know what? He's going to retire soon because he was at back end of his career. But he's going to have this pot of money where he can actually use it in a positive way going forward. Right. That it's opportunity, right? Money is a dirty word, eh? But if you if 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 you use money um, correctly, money is opportunity. Money gives you a chance to do things that mm. that you might not be able to do without it. That's that's all it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. And if if you know you only have a short window of time in your life doing one thing, mm. surely the opportunity is to create assets so you can do something positive with your assets now mm. the ones that don't get assets out of it they're gonna have to work a lot harder because mm. they they have to find their money at the end of their career to do mm. something positive and they have less opportunity yes. so uh, and i would put myself in that bracket i stopped playing football without a bean not nothing use my signing on for the out of walls bought a car bought lots of clothes and loads of stuff and I thought I might get another one that never ever came and yeah. I had to start from scratch. Yeah, yeah. Right. But that is what builds resilience, eh? Of course, of course, 100%. Yeah. Um, in terms of you, um, like, do you miss playing at all? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> Every now and again, I play like in, you know, like, um, um, like All-Stars games and stuff, but yeah. a bit of crass. Mm. And I do that and it's a good laugh. Mm. But I'm knackered and aching and sore and stuff after. It's good to do once every now and again, but yeah. I don't miss it. Like I'm, I'm too. It's life's busy now. Like I, I haven't got time to. I, don't, I love football. I love watching football. I think I'm some kind of pundit when I'm watching it, but <laughs> it's not my world anymore. Yeah, that's coach like, kids. I, mean, I love it's... coaching the kids. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same, really. I mean, I, I don't, I didn't love the grass enough to go into coaching. So that's, I always knew when I was playing, I didn't want to be a coach or anything or a manager. Um, in terms of like kind of retiring and coming away from it, it was, it was my own choice. Um, so I think that helped with the transition period. But people ask me like, do you, do you miss it? No, not at all. Um, I haven't got time to. I literally stopped playing, yeah. and within a few months, I had like a normal, regular, like job. Um, so I didn't have time to really think about kind of like what am I going to do next or whatever. It's just kind of one of those things. So for me, I don't miss it. I know some people do. Um, in terms I, of I think, at, I think at some point, football, you're, you're one of those people. Like I never, when I was playing football, like there was a point, at, I think about 16, where it, I, stopped, I didn't play football for fun. Mm. I, it, it was because I, I wanted a career in football. Mm. So, I, like, I, it, I'll put it this way. If it was freezing cold on a Sunday and someone said, oh, do you want to have a game of football? I'd be like, nah. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't have cold feet. I don't want to get kicked. 
I don't want to get into a cold shower. Yeah. That's not fun. That's not fun for me. Like, <laughs> if it's the summer, I might have a game for a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, in terms of, like, again, so I'm going back to, like, when we were playing and in and around the dress room and, and the club vibe and stuff like that. Um, whenever I heard, like, someone talking about retirement, it was either... It always came across a bit ne negative. So it was either someone's had a bad injury, so they're going to have to retire or get into a certain age thinking about retirement or you're still quite young, but someone will ask the question, oh, what are you going to do when you've stopped playing? So it was always... It always had that kind of negative connotation for me. Um, I, I don't know, like, do you think, like, retirement needs to be approached in a different way? I don't know if you had the same experience as I, as I did, but... I, I didn't because I didn't choose to retire from football. I, football. Well, I did when I played non-league football, I chose. Mm. But ultimately, like, professional football retired me. So it, I didn't have that choice. But I have friends that have chosen to retire. Mm. But the only way that they can choose to retire is because they've been really, really clever, intelligent, used their money, have got businesses in the background that mean that their new life had already started before they chose to retire. Mm. And it's a, it's a natural transition then from one thing to another. Mm. So that, I think you can only choose if you have options. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the quote. I used to have a phrase on my um, wall, sort of like, failure is the first step in progress. And many of us wouldn't um, choose to change unless forced to. Right. So it's the intelligent person that chooses to change because they've amassed enough knowledge and wealth to be able to do whatever they want to do. If you haven't got the choice, you've got to be brave as hell because no one's going to give it your way. 100%, yeah. I mean, I, I fit into the latter there, whereby I just, I applied for a job. Um, I came back from Iceland having had a really like successful career over there. Well, a successful season. You won the league, played Europa League qualifiers. I was playing out of position. I was playing really well um, to the point where like opposition managers were like, telling me I was playing really well. And then I came back to England thinking, oh, maybe I can obviously kick on again and get a club in that and then it's back to the same old thing are oh, gonna have to come in on trial and i just thought you know what i'm 31 without being like big time or arrogant if you don't know me by that stage then you must know a coach who, who managed me or trained me go and get mm -hmm. some feedback from them that's my train of thought at that point I, I just thought you know what if i can find a career going forward outside of football that is going to be sustainable and something that will kind of uh, bring some enjoyment then I'll, I'll go and pursue it and then luckily for me I applied for a job had a second interview and then got a job at an, an estate agent so I've moved on from that now most recently I work for a technology company um, but yeah that, that was my transition so I didn't really have a plan so to speak but I had the mindset from 23-24 that I'm gonna have to work financially it, there's not enough money there yeah. to retire so and not do anything. But the, the thing that people don't, people, when they're in the game, don't realise, you know what? You can play non-league football, you can get a decent amount of money playing non-league football, and you can have a job, and yeah. you're probably going to earn a lot more money than you're ever going to do playing in the second and third division. That's, yeah. that's the reality of it. So yeah. you have got choices, but people don't see those choices, yeah. you know, and actually, that's when your new hustle can start, yeah. because you can use that opportunity to... Um, 
to try new things and have a go at new things because ultimately when I had the, like the failed businesses, a couple of them, deep down, I always knew I had, had a little bit of non-league football money just to, that'll just get me by or that'll some, a little bumper. So that was my new hustle um, more than anything else, you know. So, you, you know, if you're a good pro footballer, you're going to demand a very good non-league footballing wage, aren't you? you you'll be, you're going to be all right with the job. 100%. I know loads of players over the years who had the opportunity to go from the league, quit their job uh, and go and play in the league and they just said no because the money that they were being offered in the league was like looking at five, six hundred pounds less than what they were getting kind of already. So they just... It, ha it happened. That happened to me when I was at... Um, wait, sorry on Moors now, but it's more green then. Yeah. So I'd scored in a couple of years. I'd scored like 76 goals in two years. Mm. I had Oldham... And Bristol Rovers looking at me and the um, chief scout from Oldham said, we'd love to sign you. And another guy that played for us called Joy Stanley, right? Mm. Mate, the guy, he was unreal. When I tell you, the most gifted footballer I've ever played with. Mm. But he didn't look like a footballer. He was a little round with curly hair, but he was the most gifted footballer. And I put Robbie Keane into that bracket. Robbie Keane went for millions all over Europe and the world. Yeah. This kid was incredible. Mm. we'd love to sign you both but we can't afford you wow. what's the point yeah. <laughs> like, seriously what is the point unless you are so obsessed with football that you really want to do it mm. then what's the point mm. yeah it's true and again that's that's the side of it that people don't see they don't understand they they just assume that okay well it's a club that's two rungs above what you're playing so jump at the chance and it's like well no like it depends where you're at in your life if you're 17 different all you've got is your yeah. phone bill to pay for but if you've got a family two kids mortgage or rent to pay and it's not financially viable going forward then why would you jump at it it just doesn't make any sense does it don't make any no sense. it doesn't but people will do that but, mm. but that's where i think you get into that trap mentality yeah and again you can be in a street hustle you can be in a rented house with a posh car that isn't really yours because the police are going to come take it off you at any time. Mm. Right. When do you get out of that hustle? Yeah. Yeah, true. It's definitely true. And I, I like that comparison, to be fair. Um, it does make sense. Um, in terms of you, when you retired then, so uh, I know you said like football retired you, but essentially you stopped playing for Cambridge, you went into non-league, and then you obviously stepped away from that. So... Like, did you get any help from the PFA or any other organisation, the FA or, or whatever it may be? Anyone help you? A, a little bit, like a, like a personal training course. Mm. <laughs> that That's it, really. Like, look, how much can the PFA do for mm. every footballer that drops out of football? I, you know, people moan at the PFA. I think the PFA do a good job. Yeah. But just because you've gone and got um, a qualification in personal training or business or whatever you want to do, still don't mean you're going to get a job. No. Uh, you know, especially in this current climate. So unless people expect the PFA to, to have like some kind of mad mass employment strategy where they place people from football into employment, the real world tells you, you go and try and get a job. If you can't get a job, 
make your own job and make make something for yourself because no one's going to give you anything in this world. And I'm glad you said that because I, I, that was my train of thought when I was playing and then even more so when I stopped playing. And now when I'm doing the podcast, it's something that, again, I try and get across where, okay, we all know, yeah, the PFA, the FA can do, do more, uh, clubs can do more. But there comes a point in time where you have to look at your own self and think, well, I need to do more. I need the gumption to go out and try and find these opportunities. So it's all well and good getting your coaching badges, um, getting whatever qualification. But at the end of that, there's no there's no door that says, right, you've got this qualification now. Here's a job. It's it's an it's it's a, an avenue to pursue. Yes, but. It doesn't mean that you're going to get a job at the end of it. I never wanted to do coaching badges. I know people that just did it just for the sake of doing it. And it's like, what's the point? So you get your A license or whatever it is, or B license, you still need to have a job. Someone needs to give you an opportunity to go and coach there. Um, and that's like with anything. And you can fall into another trap, can't you, of being yeah. like an academy, under nines academy coach, isn't earning a great deal. Mm. with a dream to chase. Now, some people with contacts that have done really, really well are going to get the climb that coaching ladder because they've got a lot of contacts. Yeah. If you're not that kid that's not amassed a load of contacts, that isn't got you know, friends in high places, the reality is you're probably going to stay in the academy system. Yeah. You know, exactly. there's that many people looking for those jobs. You might as well like go, go and cast your net somewhere else and see <laughs> how many fish you can catch. Exactly. exactly. Um, so, would you say more help's needed then? Because I know you said you got a little bit of help and, and whatever, and that's great. Um, I know some people have had kind of uh, different stories in terms of help and things like that. And it all depends on what type of help you're looking to get, really. Sometimes it may just be uh, like a, a voice at the end of the phone just to give you a, like a, a heads up or just yeah. a kick up the backside or whatever. But would you say more help's needed? I think young f footballers that come out of football need help. Right, if, you, if you've been at, say, um, a Man City from the age of seven and you go all the way through to your end of your scholarship and you're just on the edge of breaking through and bear in mind you don't know the, that, that background of that child, family might be in hardship, they might have given everything for mm -hmm. that child to do really well and succeed. And then they don't quite make it. I think there needs to be an element of support um, psychologically around, okay, what are your options now? Things haven't, haven't crashed for you. You're only, you know, 19 years old. You've got lots of opportunity. The, these are where your opportunities might lie. Don't worry about it. There is a support for you. Mm. I think they can do a lot more where that's concerned. But the reality is, if you're not a footballer and you don't make it as a footballer, you haven't made it as a footballer. There are lots of apprentice carpenters that aren't quite good enough to be apprentice carpenters. Yeah. You, you have to still... Yeah, they need help because you don't commit your childhood to being a carpenter. Mm. But at some point, it, there's a reality that you need to... You know, you mm. need to be able to be resilient enough to look for opportunities. Now, maybe football clubs can um, be more open about football's not for everyone forever, mm. right? I, I went into an academy, took my kids' team that I took into an academy, and 
well, I went into three academies a few months ago. Two of those academies were incredible, mm. like incredible in the way that they looked after the kids, the way that they treated the kids, the way that um, they treated the kids that weren't in the academy structure, visiting them, okay? The other academy I went to was incredibly elitist, right? Now that elitist academy is only going to create elitist parents and elitist children. Mm. Now, that academy is always going to have a problem with those children when they leave at the end of it because not all of them are going to be superstars. Mm. So the environment that those children are brought up in in terms of their education and football education, because they're not just educating them as footballers, they're educating them as young people. They have to be giving them the resilience and skills to deal with the rejection that they are going to get. Mm. And that's what I don't think academies do. You go into an academy and it's, oh, did you enjoy it? Did you this? But behind it is a real sinister dark edge, which yeah. is he ain't performing. He's not good enough. We've not got enough players in this group. We need to do a group trial because we might have to lose three or four of these. But yeah. none of the parents see that stuff. Yeah. That stuff the stuff that's hidden behind the smiley faces and the, mm. the pats on the back of the head. Now they have to be more open about that's the way football is. Yeah. 100%. And that's massive. And like I said, it's not just about, it's not just about the kids, is it? It's the parents as well. And like you said there, you don't know the background of the, the child's kind of family life and things like that. So I, I'm glad you mentioned that about kind of the smiley faces and did you enjoy it and here's some food and whatever and everything's nice and fluffy. But behind that, it's a business. So they will be having harsh conversations behind closed doors saying, look, he ain't good enough. He's got two weeks, otherwise he's out, or whatever it is. And we've all heard it. I've heard it before about other players and whatever else. And yeah, it, it is. It's a tough one. It really is, and it's a tough environment. Very, very tough. And and some people. And there, there are things that go on. Be, things that go on behind the scenes with some of these players that you think, wow, like that. They, they, however smiley and pretty and glitzy and nice it is, they're still that same raw. Mm. cutthroat business that dictates the decision-making process mm. can't hide it you yeah. you can't have any industry that picks the premium cream mm. and only the cream and not have that, that that's yeah. part of the game yeah so if you've got a child that's in football you need to be telling them that this is how it is it's not forever you yeah. know if it's not here it'll be somewhere else just mm. get on with it do your best 100%. <laughs> yeah yeah 100 in terms of, I mean, we have touched on this briefly, but in terms of advice, what would you give, not just young players, um, but for any player, any athlete from whatever kind of age, background, what advice would you give going forward in terms of kind of anything that would aid their transition away from, from sport? Amass assets and amass skills. Right, you know as well, I do, when you play football, you have lots of time. Mm. And however much you go, you, you package it, oh, I need to rest up, I need to train and I need my rest. Garbage. Because mm. when you go into the real world, you don't get no rest. <laughs> right? Life is hard when you're mm. up at work. So do you know what? Take that mentality into your lifestyle now mm. and start amassing assets and start amassing skills. And actually, while you're playing football, use the hustle to do something positive. Get stuff, make your failures while you've got football. 
make your failures while you've still got the cash coming in. Make your failures and you're learning while there's no stress on your shoulders. Because that day comes and you can't play football anymore. The world gets a lot stressier mm. and a lot harder. And the decision making becomes a lot more difficult because there's real jeopardy and a skin in the game when you have to make those real decisions. So you need to do it when you're playing and do it early while you're playing. Massive. Great advice. I uh, really appreciate you coming on. Obviously, we haven't spoken for years, so again, good to catch up on that. Um, just let everyone know again about your um, the boxing company that you've got. Let us know the name, obviously where you're located, um, where you are on social personally, as well as the business as well. Okay, so it's Urban Boxing Studios. You'll find us on at Urban Boxing Studios um, on Insta, on Facebook, on YouTube. We are UBS TV. If you want to have a go at boxing, you're scared stiff of getting into a boxing gym, go on UBS TV. There's loads of videos, me screaming at the camera, telling you what to do. Get on it, have a go at it. We have online memberships. So if you're worried about going into your local gym, shout out us through socials, join us online. You can start to get involved online. And then if you're local to us, pop in and see us. Free to give it a try. So it's just give it a go. Have a look at what we do. It's, it's cool. We, we make boxing fun for everyone. Um, websites, www.urbanboxingstudio.com. Um, so, yeah, have a look at us, see what we're all about. Awesome, mate. Brilliant. Uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch, hopefully, anyway. Um, and like I said, appreciate you coming on. Um, good luck, obviously, going forward. Um, and, yeah, just uh, stay safe, mainly. Yeah, and you well done with this because I think it's a really cool thing. Seeing, and I personally really enjoy seeing everybody and seeing what they're up to. You know, we come across lots of people in football and don't speak to them again. So it's icy and catching up with them um, via this platform. So well done. Awesome. Brilliant. Thanks for the feedback. Speak soon. See you later. See you later.